welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. On Sunday, July 25th, 2021, civil rights icon Bob Moses passed away at the age of 86 at his home in Hollywood, Florida. Today, we pay homage to his life and legacy as a leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Mississippi Freedom Party, and the Algebra Project. Our guests are Martha Prescott Noonan, who worked with Bob Moses on dangerous missions in the south of the U.S. doing voter registration, and historian Dr. Gerald Horn. Bob Moses organized and carried out voter registration drives in the South, a region where black and brown people were regularly being abused and killed simply for the color of their skin. He also organized sit-ins and freedom schools for the student nonviolent coordinating committee known as SNCC. In 1960, Bob Moses became field secretary for SNCC and later director of SNCC's Mississippi Project in 1961. Uh, Bob was often asked why he is doing this dangerous work. Let us hear now the voice of Bob Moses explaining why. People always want to know why do you do this? And the answer also always seems to be, well, what else is there to do? People always want to say, well, aren't you getting so very little for having to put out so very much? And the answer always seems to be, well, somebody has to do it. And it's got to be done sometime. The thing that keeps hitting back home is that you you're talking about real people and real lives, and you're trying to effect a change for them. Remember newspaper man down in Macomb, after the kids had walked out and were fiddle-faddling around, walking out of school every day, and he said, well, won't they be better off if they go back into school? I mean, don't they need their education? And I looked at him, and I said, education for what? Each one of these kids, if they get out of this high school here in Macomb, they have about one or two opportunities open for them. If they're girls, they can go down there and be domestics in some white folks' home. If they're boys, then they can be unskilled laborers digging ditches and hauling around stuff into trucks. For a few of them, of course, they can become teachers, and in this case, they simply become by and large, tools of the system perpetuate. And uh, that was the voice of the late Bob Moses. By 1964, Bob Moses had become co-director of the Council of Federated Organizations known as COFO, an umbrella organization for the major civil rights groups working in Mississippi. As a top leader of SNCC, he was the main organizer for COFO's Freedom Summer Project, which aimed to register black people in the U.S. South by the masses. Bob Moses was crucial in the organizing of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, a movement that challenged the all-white regular Democratic Party delegates from the state at the party's 1964 convention. 
Bob Moses' experience in the civil rights movement helped lay the foundation for the Algebra Project in the mid-1980s. He pointed out that structural changes like the de-industrialization of U.S. cities and the rise of information technologies were reshaping the country's economy. And because of this, impoverished students of color were being left behind. In response, he organized and ran the Algebra Project, which is a continued effort to improve math education in poor communities with the goal of sending more students into uh, the technology science workforce. Bob Moses revolutionized the ideal of equal opportunity and played a vital role in making it a reality. He continued teaching math at schools in Mississippi and Florida for several years before his death. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. A House Select Committee holds its first hearing on the January 6th Capitol insurrection. The lead testimonies being provided by police officers who battled the assailants. The hearing will proceed with two Republicans appointed by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has denigrated them as Pelosi Republicans. Cheney told CNN the committee may subpoena one of the Republicans whose appointment Pelosi rejected, Ohio's Jim Jordan, and maybe even Kevin McCarthy himself. Congressman Jordan may well be a material witness. Uh, he's somebody who was uh, involved in a number of meetings in the lead up to uh, what happened on January 6th, uh, involved in planning for January 6th, uh, certainly for the objections that day, as he said publicly. Uh, so he may well be a material witness. Uh, we will, on this committee, uh, follow the facts wherever they go. And that could include subpoenas for Mr. McCarthy and former President Trump? It could. Ahead of today's hearing, House Republican leaders gathered to accuse Pelosi of seeking to cover up what they charged were her failures to adequately protect the Capitol. None of them ever mentioned the insurrection was carried out by a pro-Trump mob seeking to prevent the certification of Joe Biden's presidential win. Steve Scalise is the number two ranking House Republican. You know, for weeks now, Jim Jordan and Jim Banks have been raising some very tough questions, questions that need to be answered about why Speaker Pelosi didn't make sure that Capitol Police had all the tools they needed to be prepared for that day. Now, maybe because they were raising those questions, they got canceled by this new cancel culture that we see moving throughout the country, led by Speaker Pelosi and a lot of our socialist allies here in Congress, where they want to shut out voices that raise tough questions that they don't want to be asked or answered. The House committee was formed after Senate Republicans filibustered a vote for an independent bipartisan commission to investigate the Capitol insurrection. California is the first state in the nation to require all its workers be vaccinated or tested weekly for the coronavirus. Governor Gavin Newsom announced the new rule as the number of cases and hospitalizations in the state has begun rapidly growing as a result of the coronavirus. Christopher Martinez reports. 
Beginning next month, California will require healthcare workers and all state employees to get a COVID vaccination, or else get tested once or twice a week. Governor Gavin Newsom announced the new rule in Oakland. 246,000 Californians should be vaccinated. And if they're not vaccinated and cannot verify that they've been vaccinated, uh, we are requiring uh, that they get tested. The new vaccination mandate will also apply to about 2 million healthcare workers and workers at congregate facilities like long-term care, jails, and homeless shelters. He criticizes what he calls profiteers who are peddling misinformation about vaccines. We're exhausted by the Ron Johnsons and the Tucker Carlsons. We're exhausted by the Margie Taylor Greens. We're exhausted by the right-wing echo chamber that has been perpetuating misinformation around the vaccine and its efficacy and safety. We're exhausted by the politicalization of this pandemic, and that includes mask wearing that has been equated to the Holocaust. It's disgraceful. It's unconstitutional. It's unconscionable. And it needs to be called out. I'm Christopher Martinez. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says he will require all municipal workers to get coronavirus vaccines by mid-September or face weekly COVID-19 testing. That includes teachers and police officers. The move follows last week's announcement mandating vaccinations or weekly testing for public health care and long-term care workers. The Department of Veterans Affairs has become the first major federal agency to require health care workers to get COVID-19 vaccines. Whistleblower Daniel Hale faces at least nine years in prison when he's sentenced today for leaking classified information about the U.S. drone and targeted assassination program. While in the Air Force from 2009 to 2013, Hale worked with the National Security Agency and the Joint Special Operations Task Force at the Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. He helped identify targets for assassination. In March, he pleaded guilty to one count of violating the World War I-era Espionage Act for leaking documents exposing the drone program. Hale told a judge, quote, not a day goes by that I don't question the justification of my actions by the rules of engagement. It may have been permissible for me to have helped kill those men whose language I did not speak, customs I did not understand, and crimes I could not identify in the gruesome manner that I did. But Hale said he was grief-stricken and ashamed of himself. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And today, uh, we pay tribute and remember of the late civil rights icon, Bob Moses, who died on Sunday, July 25th, 2021. Uh, Bob Moses was born in Harlem, New York City in 1935 during the height of the Harlem Renaissance. He graduated from Stuyvesant High School in 1952 and received his bachelor's degree from Hamilton College in 1956. A year later, he earned his master's degree in philosophy at Harvard University. By 1958, he began teaching at the Horace Mann School in the Bronx, uh, one of the most impoverished communities of color at the time, but a very prestigious uh, school. Into the 1960s, Bob Moses became one of the most influential leaders of the civil rights movement, forming part of the grassroots and community-based leadership. However, his name was not as well known as other um, male leadership in civil rights. Uh, Bob Moses uh, tended to uh, keep himself in the background and wasn't uh, promoting himself in any way. 
he traveled to Pike County and Amite County to try to register black voters with other local community leaders. Bob Moses experienced constant violence and intimidation. He was beaten, he was arrested, he was one of the first black people in the area to legally challenge white violence and filed assault charges against his attacker. The all-white jury acquitted the attacker and the judge told Bob Moses, well, he couldn't protect him uh, and providing him an escort to the county line. And uh, this was the context of the work of Bob Moses and so many of the civil rights campaigners at the time. What I'd like to do now is to welcome our guests. I'd like to welcome, first of all, Dr. Gerald Horn, who's the Morse Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books. His most recently published book is The Bittersweet Science, Racism, Racketeering, and the Political Economy of Boxing. He's also the author of The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. Dr. Horn, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And Dr. Horn, before I bring on uh, two guests, uh, Dave, uh, David Dennis, Dave Dennis, and Martha Prescott Noonan, who worked directly with Bob Moses, what I'd like you to do um, before you have to dash is to give us the historic context of the time that Bob Moses and Martha and uh, Dave and all of them were working in that time of terror. I would say, in the U.S. South. Dr. Horn. Well, first of all, the New York Times columnist, Jamel Bowie, wrote a column recently where he pointed out that if you are defending hierarchies of power, for example, those who rioted on January 6, 2021, you oftentimes are embraced, certainly by the Republican Party. But if, like Bob Moses, you're trying to overturn hierarchies of power, then you are subject to being jailed. You are subject, in the case of the Sherbrooke County, Mississippi, in 1964, with Cheney, Swerner, and Goodman actually being killed. Fortunately, the overriding context was that the world was changing. Africa was surging to independence. The United States was in an ideological mind, and therefore the atrocious maltreatment of black people was a stain upon the deteriorating relation uh, reputation of the United States of America. And so that created a, a force, an objective circumstance that led to the seats of power, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court and the White House, to put pressure for change. Uh, sadly enough, the memo did not circulate necessarily in Philadelphia, Mississippi, or Mississippi generally, or the Deep South, and therefore, it took titanic pressure from the likes of those such as Bob Moses and your other guests to help to get us to where we are today. Right. Well, uh, thank you for that, Dr. Gerald Horn. And um, we always can count on you to give us some historic uh, context here. What I'd like to do now is welcome our guests who will be with us uh, for the rest of the hour. Thank you, Dr. Horn. I'd like to uh, welcome uh, Martha Prescott Noonan, who is a community organizer, an activist, 
homemaker, teacher of history, including the civil rights movement. Amatha grew up in Rhode Island and attended the University of Michigan. She was a fundraiser and a field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee known as SNCC and worked with Bob Moses. She's one of the editors of a book about SNCC women's experiences in the movement entitled Hands on the Freedom Plow. Martha Prescott-Noonan, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, yes, and for those of you who are wondering about the similarity of names, Martha Prescott, Margaret Prescott, yes, there is a family connection there. Uh, so let's get that one out of the way. Uh, what I'd like to do is to welcome uh, Dave Dennis. David J. Dennis is a civil rights activist, active in the movement since the 1960s. He grew up in the segregated area of Omega, Louisiana, and worked as co-director of the Council of Federated Organizations, known as COFO, as director of Mississippi's Congress of Racial Equality, Corps, and as one of the organizers of the Mississippi Freedom Summer of 1964. Dave Dennis worked closely with both Bob Moses and Medgar Evers, as well as members of SNCC. His first involvement in the civil rights movement was at a Woolworth sit-in organized by CORE, and he went on to become a freedom writer in 1961. More recently, Dave has put his activism toward a new project along with Bob Moses, the Algebra Project, which is a nonprofit organization that aims to improve the mathematics education for minority children. He speaks about his experiences in the movement through an organization called Dave Dennis Connections. Dave Dennis, welcome. Glad to, glad to be here. Good morning to you. Uh, there might be a little bit noisy here because we, it's storming outside, so there's a lot of fun. Ah, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a bit of, of crackling over on, on my end, too. Gosh, what's happening to the environment here. What I'd like to do, uh, Dave and Martha, is to go first to a clip of Bob Moses talking about giving an overview of SNCC voter registration drive in Macomb, Mississippi, and then get your thoughts. My name is Robert Moses. I'm a field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. I first came south in July of 1960 on a field trip for SNCC, went through Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, gathering people to go to their October conference. That was the first time that I met Amzi Moore, and at that time we sat down and planned a voter registration drive for Mississippi. I returned in the summer of 1961 to start that drive. We were to start in Cleveland, Mississippi, in the Delta. However, we couldn't. We didn't have any equipment. We didn't even have a place at that time to meet. So we went down to Macomb at the invitation of C.C. Bryant, who was the local head of the NAACP there. And we began setting up a voter registration drive in Macomb, Mississippi. What did we do? Well, for two weeks, I did nothing but drive around the town talking to the business leaders the ministers, the people in the town, asking them if they would support 10 students who would come in to work on a voter registration drive. We got a commitment from them to support students for the month of August and to pay for their room and board 
and some of their transportation while they were there. The project began August 1st and lasted, as it turned out, through December, not just through the month of August. We began in Macomb canvassing for about a two-week period. This means that we went around house to house, door to door, in the hot sun every day because the most important thing at the beginning was to convince the local townspeople that we meant business. That is, that we were serious, uh, that we were not only young, but that we were people who were responsible. That's right, and uh, that was the voice of now the late uh, Bob Moses. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and we're going to be talking about his work, that era that Bob Moses worked in for the rest of the hour. Dave Dennis, you just heard that clip, the overview of SNCC voter registration. Your organizing um, began earlier, actually, and uh, I'd like you to just talk a little bit about that era. I mean, you were... Part of, you were a freedom writer in 1961. You were part of that Woolworth sit-in uh, by CORE. Uh, just tell us about that. And then also, how did you meet Bob Moses, Dave Dennis? First of all, is uh, Bob and our lives sort of, uh, sort of intertwined early, and we didn't even know it. Uh, uh, when he talked about uh, Ella Baker sending him out to, to the different places in 1960, and he went to Louisiana. Well, one of the places he went was Shreveport, Louisiana. And, and he met with one of my mentors, which was uh, Dr. C.O. Simpkins, who was a dentist there and a leader of the NAACP and, as, and one of the organizers of SCLC. So that was something we didn't know about, didn't put together until years later. And so after the Freedom Rides, what I did is I began to organize in as the Freedom Secretary for Corps in the state of Louisiana and going into Baton Rouge for the next walkout of the students at uh, Ed Brown and others. And so during this period of time is, is that Bob was doing the same, his work in Macomb. I was doing work in Louisiana beginning. We had not met. And then how we met was, is that we had a large number of students from Southern University was arrested in December. Uh, I think it was around the 17th or something like that. As these summer, we stayed in jail through Christmas holidays and New Year's. Uh, uh, Bob heard about this in January, and we had uh, about 30 or 40 students who were out, could not get back into school during the month of January. So he came over, he and uh, Chuck McDude, Dion Diamond, and some others from Snake who involved in the McCall movement, came over to Baton Rouge to recruit some of the students we had from Southern University. So that's my first meeting with Bob Moses and to discuss what he was doing in uh, and, um, and Macomb and our work on voter registration in the state of Louisiana. So that was our first connection. Uh, he came back in in February to begin to uh, make that uh, uh, reconnect again and cut some students. I wasn't interested. The students didn't want to go because they were working hard there in, in Louisiana. But it caught my interest of what he was talking about and what they were doing in, in, in Mississippi. So in April, uh, Tom Gaither, who was heading up the core uh, project in, in Mississippi, was drafted. Uh, uh, and so I decided uh, to ask CORE if I could go into Mississippi to take over because I wanted to uh, really connect with what they were doing in Mississippi. 
So in April of 1962, it was, I went into Mississippi for the first, for the second time, because the first time I went to Mississippi, I went on a, on, was on the first bus from Montgomery into uh, Jackson, Mississippi, where I was arrested on the Freedom Ride and spent some time in Parchment as a result of that. So my, this is my second time in the state of Mississippi, and I was hoping not to get arrested on this well, this visit. So I began to work with Bob, and we began to look at uh, de the development of the statewide uh, effort. And uh, I think it was in May, I think it was, or June, I've forgotten what my, uh, but that summer, uh, we went into, uh, had a, a meeting in, uh, in Carsdale, Mississippi, with Dr. Aaron Henry and others, and that was where we put together a, a uh, committee in COFO. Now, COFO was already in existence. I mean, COFO was organized primarily by local NAACP, Carsey Hall, and some of the lawyers, Mecca Evers, and others. Uh, was really to support the Freedom Rides in 1961. That was after May of 1961. And so what happened is Bob and, and Tom Gaither really came up with the idea of using COFO because it was forming, it composed of all the organizations, the civil rights groups and local organizations in the state of Mississippi, is to use that as a base for development of statewide effort around the voter registration and challenging of the political system in the state of Mississippi. And so when, uh, when we met in in, uh, uh, in Clarksdale, uh, the there was a program that had begun uh, uh, called the Voter Education Project (VEP) out of Atlanta on the Southern Regional Council, where money was being provided to different areas, especially in the South, is to increase voter registration efforts across the South. So we were trying to get some of those funds in. So we decided to put it under this umbrella group called COFO, uh, Council of Federal Organizations. And so we formed in that, out of that came, was developed a committee uh, well, to focus on voter registration and the political organizing in the state of Mississippi. And so Bob and I became co-directors of that particular effort on that particular committee to, uh, to move that. So that was my first uh, beginning of the long effort of working together with Bob is, which I still, uh, until his death, under uh, the Alice right. Project, continue this work is. Right, and we'll talk a bit more about the Algebra Project and your more, more recent work as well as Bob Moses' recent work. That's the voice of Dave Dennis, and it's just amazing history. Martha Prescott uh, Noonan, how did you end up uh, going uh, south? How did you end up in Mississippi? I mean, really dangerous time, and tell us about how you first met Bob Moses, Martha. Well, um, when I was a student at the University of Michigan my freshman year, um, one of the organizers from the Macomb Project uh, came uh, to campus to raise money, uh, Curtis uh, Hayes. And from then on, we were, as students, we were in correspondence with the Mississippi Project. Um, I didn't go to Mississippi until 1963, but we, of course, we stayed in correspondence by mail in those days. And at one point, uh, we had written to Bob asking what we as students at the University of Michigan could do. And he suggested that um, we needed to send food because people who were trying to register to vote in Mississippi would lose their em 
unemployment and be kicked off the plantations um, where they worked and, of course, would not be eligible for any support. And so that was one of the first things that we did as students at Michigan was to send uh, a truckload of food um, into Clarksdale to um, Dr. Aaron Henry's uh, pharmacy. Mm -hmm. uh, Martha and Dave, what I'd like to do now is to, because I'd like you to talk about uh, a lot of people, we know what's happening today with all the police shootings, et cetera, and the, the rise of these new Jim Crow laws, which we'll talk about. But just understanding the, the sheer terror of uh, the moment where both of you were working along with Bob Moses. I'd like to play a clip of Bob Moses uh, describing being followed by the highway patrol and then being arrested. On our way home, we were followed by the highway patrolman who had spent the day in the registrar's office, office of Carwile. He tailed us about 10 miles, uh, or about very close, about 20, 25 feet behind us, all the way back towards Macomb. At one point, we pulled off the road and he passed us and circled around and came back and we pulled up as he was passing us in the opposite direction. And then he turned around and followed us again. Well, finally, he blew us down and I got out of the car, asked him what the trouble was because the people in the car by that time were very, very frightened. He asked me who I was, what my business was, and told me that I was interfering in what he was doing. I said I simply wanted to find out what the problem was and what we were being stopped for. He told me to get back in the car. As I did so, I jotted his name down. He then opened the car door and pushed me and said, get in the car and slammed the door after, after me. He then told us to follow him in the car and he took us over to Macomb where I was told that I was placed under arrest. They called up the county prosecuting attorney. He came down, and he and the highway patrolman then sat down and opened up the law books and looked through to find out a charge. They first charged me with interfering with an officer in the process of arresting somebody. Then found out that the only person arrested was myself, and they changed the charge to interfering with an officer in the discharge of his duties. County attorney asked me if I was ready for the trial. I said, could I make a phone call? He said, yes. So I picked up the phone and called Washington, D.C., the Justice Department. Because I had been in communication with some members of the Justice Department, particularly John Doerr, and I received letters saying, delineating those sections of the Civil Rights Acts of 1957 and 1960, which guarantee protection to people who are trying to register and to anyone who is aiding other people in trying to register. And he had also indicated that if we had any trouble, we were to call Washington or the nearest office of the FBI. So I called him. Collect. The people in the office were rather astonished at the, at the fact that the call went through, and then they began to get fidgety. Well, after the call, and I explained to Mr. Doe exactly what happened in their presence, and told them uh, told him that I thought we were being intimidated simply because the people had tried to go down to register. Well, we had the trial right after that. I was found guilty of this charge of interfering with an officer. And the judge and the county prosecuting attorney went out, consulted, and came back 
and I was given a suspended sentence, 90-day suspended sentence, and fined $5 for cost of court. Well, I refused to pay the $5 cost of court and argued that I shouldn't have been uh, given anything at all but should have been set free since I was obviously not guilty. I was taken to jail then. This is the first introduction to Mississippi jails. First introduction to Mississippi jail. That's the voice of Bob Moses. And our guest uh, today, two people who worked with Bob Moses, uh, Dave Dennis and Martha Prescott uh, Noonan. Uh, Dave, just about the terror of, of the time. I'm looking at a list here of 41 people killed during the civil rights or the civil rights martyrs, and we're not even sure if that list is complete. They're the high-profile names uh, that we know of, but there are people like Lewis Allen, Willie Brewster, Vernon, Damar, uh, Willie Edgars, uh, Edwards, uh, Paul Grehart, uh, Jimmy Lee Jackson, etc. Tell us uh, a bit about uh, your experience of it and just what it was like, the measures you all had to take given the dangers that you were facing, Dave Dennis. Yeah, well, I want to go back just a second to what Martha was talking about earlier. And by the way, Martha, I, I also graduated from the University of Michigan Law School. Yeah. Uh, so things could, could be pretty close. <laughs> uh -huh. the, um, one of the things is, is that when Martha was talking about the food program, I mean, this is part of this fear tactic that was used. Uh, 1963, in order to discourage black from registering the voters, some of the registered voters, especially in the Mississippi Delta, the state uh, cut off what they called the food commodity program. So in the Delta, they used to the food, the food commodity program, distribute food and clothing to poor people, uh, especially the farms and sharecroppers, because they had no other income uh, during that period of time. Is and there was no uh, uh, the cotton picking season in the promise. So there they decided to cut it off. So actually, during that period of time to discourage it, the people, the black people in the Mississippi Delta were actually starving to death. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, mm -hmm. uh, there was a, it was one of the most brutal winters that we had. And so people actually freed because they could not, they did not have money uh, in a way to get fuel for the, uh, to burn wood and stuff like that or to get that. And so that was just total just chaos there is. So we actually had people who were starving to death and who were actually freezing. So that's what the country wow. did not know about is so that we'd start this commod of our own food program and clothing is. And this is when Dick Gregory became involved in and and the uh, Mississippi Delta. Dick Gregory came down with an airplane uh, full of food and clothing uh, for the poor people and which we distributed out there is and so we had other people that like the Martin that were doing was shipping in food and clothing. So that was one of the fear tactics, and at the same time, is people were being arrested, beaten, just for trying to attempt to register the vote. So that was actually an all-out war, but because of the lack of attention in the press, there was not that much of an interest in the press. And this is one of the things that really began to trigger us, uh, get us involved with the uh, Freedom Summer, because we had to. Uh, 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 during that, we, we had the death of Megan Evans, which was in June of 1963, and, uh, and uh, who's a very good friend of mine is. In fact, I was with Edgar, uh, Megan, for about one hour before he was killed. I mean, we were talking. He told me about while I come to his house to look at. There was Kennedy was getting ready to make his speech that night about the Civil Rights Act. 
uh, which was passed in 1964. And so uh, I told him, I made a joke with him. You know, I said, man, if the person who killed Rodney would call with you. Is. So we laughed. And I left with Dory Latner and, uh, and George and Annie Moody and us. And we went to by my house, my apartment. It was a Maple Street apartment in Jackson, Mississippi. And so about an hour later, I got a call in uh, uh, from uh, um, some of the people at Magdalene's house that they, he had been, just had been shot and he had been killed. So the fear, um, that was part of it. So what happened is, so, so how that, uh, when, when um, uh, Mecca was killed, it just so happens is that that was the same day, a night rather, that uh, Ms. Fannie Lou Hamer and others, uh, Uvestra and others were caught in Winona, Mississippi, were very, very badly beaten, uh, beaten that Mrs. Hamer never they even uh, never did really truly uh, totally recover from it. Uh, they had the prisoners there and the, uh, uh, black prisoners to actually uh, almost strip her clothes off his and, and open and beat her with a stick and uh, with a nightclub. So this uh, fear uh, that was going on, the kind of violence that was going on against people uh, in Mississippi was uh, atrocious. I mean, very difficult to explain. So that's a part of the decision that we had to move around. How do we do get some attention? So we decided that we need to figure out how to bring in what we call the children of the Constitution, that is, white kids. If they came down, is that might bring attention from white people and the press in the North is because they weren't responding to the fact is that black people were dying in, um, in, in Mississippi and across the South. So that sort of sparked the decision. So we had a several meetings that everybody didn't go along with that is. And so it's, uh, Lewis Allen plays a role in that. Uh, Lewis Allen was a witness to a murder uh, in, um, by uh, another black person, uh, uh, by um, uh, a state senator, uh, Hurst. Uh, and so we were trying to get uh, uh, Lewis Allen to testify about this. So Lewis Allen did decide to testify. And that was in January of, of 2000, I mean, 1964. And so we had a meeting in, in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, it was the second meeting around whether or not we should have this Freedom Summer project. A lot of the people uh, working with us, the young people, uh, were skeptical about bringing down a whole bunch, a lot of white kids. And so other people were saying, well, well no, we should do that anyway. As Mrs. Hamer, as she told Charlie Cobb, is, well, Charlie, you, uh, you here, so why can't they come to work? And so what happened there is it was really uh, Bob got a call right during the, uh, before the meeting started the second day. And the call was about the fact is that Lewis Allen had been found murdered been underneath his, on his truck as well on his property. And so when Bob came in and announced to the group is that Lewis Allen now was murdered, is we all just said, okay, let's bring him down. It's a war. And so that's why we do. So that's influenced and really had a, a large impact on whether or not we bring it, bring it down all of these uh, uh, young kids. Now, to talk about the terror and everything else, all during this period of time, is I mean, during that whole peace preparation for Freedom Summer, we all know what happened is in June of, uh, of uh, 1964, Cheney, Goodman, Swerner uh, were murdered. Uh, I was with them about 12 hours before they were murdered. And so they uh, uh, going into Philadelphia, Mississippi, and so that was all part of the tactic they were going to be uh, using in order to uh, deter people coming. But what was really interesting about that during that period of time, from the time they were murdered and the time they found the bodies, and found over 19 bodies were found in the state of Mississippi. You know, and wow. so 
one of the problems you have is, is that people were saying, you know, what the concern was is that they, they, most of these are, like all of these are black people. So the reaction was from the press and other people is, oh, my God, it's not, it wasn't the three civil rights works. So that, uh, you know, and, but they didn't get, it wasn't catching yet in the country. It makes no difference whether it was the three civil rights works or not. These are black people being found in the, across the state of Mississippi is, you know, who have been murdered, you know, I mean, um, and they were young, uh, from young people all the way to elder, older people. So this terror pieces that was existing that you were talking about there is, was, I mean, to the extent that people uh, really don't understand, I think, and this was not just happening in Mississippi, but across the South. And today is what really, you know, I guess this, this is hardening is, is that you don't have those kind of pressures. You don't have that kind of threat. You don't have those type of things that are happening on a daily basis just for time to come to register to vote. And people still without register to vote or to vote. And people are hesitant to help, you know, and just a little bit like giving some money to help a radio station uh, to uh, the program to stay alive is to help to support the continue to work that a lot of us are still doing uh, across the country. Right. Well, thank you for that, uh, Dave. I mean, what you describe such a vital piece of history. And, you know, we really have to teach the truth to the youth and understand this history, history that is so being undermined now across the United States with the attacks on so named critical race theory and the changing of, of history books and, and a suppression of the kind of information that uh, both Dave Dennis and Martha Prescott Noonan giving us uh, today. We have to be grateful that you, Dave, and Bob Moses were not one of those uh, bodies found. And Bob, you know, stopped harassed. He was, he was known. Uh, just tell us, uh, Martha, what you know about the danger he faced. I mean, others faced as well, but specifically um, what kind of measures had to be taken to protect somebody like uh, Bob Moses, Martha? Well, I think I want to point out a couple of things. One, the one of the first, and it kind of follows what Dave was talking about. One of the first people that went down to register to vote in Macomb, Mississippi, Herbert Lee, was killed. Mm. So, <laughs> the the fact that after that, um, no one stopped that the, the you know that the organizing and the project still went on. There was no question about what the level of danger was at that time for me it came home um kind of in a, a ordinary day uh we were downtown which we never went to rarely but we needed to go downtown to get paper because the way that we communicated was with leaflets in those days and i went downtown with another SNCC worker and when we left the uh paper supply office there was a a white man walking down the opposite side of the street and he was being greeted enthusiastically by everyone and they were stopping and talking to him and they were patting him on the shoulder and shaking his hand and stuff and I said well who is that is that the mayor and um, I think it was with um, Wazir Peacock and he said oh no that's Brian Dela Beckwith he just killed Medgar Evers, and people are congratulating him. Oh, my God. <laughs> so that's the level. Um, you know, Bob had to be to move from place to place. 
at night so people didn't know where he was. Um, I had my own little safety plan of, one, trying to stay in the office, but then people would drive by the office with their guns out, and people had been shot in front of the um, Greenwood office. Um, so it was just scary. <laughs> so it was just scary. Absolutely. And you know yeah, what? Can I just um, add, uh, uh, Martha, yeah, I just want to add one Martha thing to, to that. Is, sure. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and that is that what Martha's talked about there. For Bob, he actually had wanted Dead or Alive posters out, uh, put it out into the service yeah. stations and stores yeah. across, across Mississippi. So he actually had posters out, uh, and, and a little leaflets like, like the cowboy movies uh, with his name on it and stuff is, and I wanted Dead, I wanted dead or Alive. So the uh, it, it, he was well known uh, throughout the state is, and so he, that was a price tag on his head. Absolutely, and we are honoring uh, Bob Moses, civil rights icon, who passed away on Sunday, July twenty fifth, twenty twenty one, at the age of eighty six. Let us hear Dave Dennis express his outrage and his grief, his sorrow at what was going on got a lot more I want to say. You see, we all tired. You see, I know what's going to happen. I feel it deep in my heart where they find the people who killed those guys in the Shelba County. You got to come back to the state of Mississippi and have a jury, all their cousins, their aunts, their uncles. And I know what they're going to say, not guilty. Because no one saw them pull the trigger. I'm tired of that. See, and another thing that makes me even tired of them, and that is the fact that we as people here in the state and the country are allowing this to continue to happen. Even us as black folk. So I look at the young kids here. That's something else that I grieve about. The little Ben Cheney here. And the other ones like them around in this audience, around on the streets. I grieve because sometimes they make me feel that maybe they have to go through the same thing, you see. And they're going to have to go through the same thing unless we as individuals begin to stand up and demand our rights and a change in this dead blasted country, you see. So we have to stand and demand it because tomorrow, baby, it could be you or your child. See, one thing that I'm worried about is just exactly what are we going to do as people as a result of what happened for this, what this guy died for and the other people who died for. Are we going to come to this memorial here? Say, oh, what a shame. Go back home and pray to the Lord as we've done for years. Then go back to work in some white folks' kitchen tomorrow. And forget about the whole dead blasted thing, you see. Don't applaud. Don't applaud. Don't get your frustrations out by clapping your hands. Each and every one of us as individuals are going to have to take it upon ourselves to become leaders in our community. Block by block, house by house. City by city, county by county, state by state, 
throughout this entire country. Taking our black brothers by the hands, one at a time. Stepping across our feet through the mighty oceans to the mighty country of Africa. Holding our hands up high, tell them if they're not ready for us, too bad, baby, because we're coming anyway, you see. Wow, Dave Dennis, I get emotional actually every time I hear uh, this and, and some other uh, clips of yours from that time. Uh, just your final thoughts now. We just have a few minutes before we get to the top of the hour as we remember um, your compatriot, the person you worked so uh, closely with and faced danger with, um, Bob Moses. Just your final words, Dave Dennis. Yeah, well, we have a, a lot of work to do. I mean, we're just countries now in a surge back. Uh, and we're back into uh, when they said make America great again. It means make America, bring back, uh, old America back, the one that we've just talked about and, and before that and, and slavery. And so this is happening. I mean, you can even talk about the history pieces about, you know, the uh, the uh, Civil Rights Acts of, uh, of, the, of the 1800s uh, and, the, and the Civil Rights Act 1964 and what happened in terms of changeover, change of the Supreme Court, and the suppression of voting of rights of black people and people in this country. So we have right now is, is, is a struggle. We might be feeling that we're doing okay. Some people are making a little money and doing things in this issue, but it's back. And so what we got to figure out how to do is how to work together to make sure that it doesn't go all the way back. Too many people lost their lives in the struggle. I mean, too many sacrifices in the struggle for us to be where we are, for us not to fight to stay or to move forward. So we got to stop this surge back and move, make this surge uh, change course and go forward. We need to take over our communities. I mean, this whole, uh, 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 what's happening is we don't have any villages anymore. It takes a village to raise a child. We always say our villages are not there anymore. Our communities are not there anymore. So how do we rebuild? How do we redo? How do we begin to develop a structure for um, education and voting rights has been the key to uh, our salvation and freedom in this country and continues to be. We have to do whatever we possibly can to support each other to make it real. And so I'm hoping that in the memory of Bob Moses, John Lewis and others, that we begin to roll up our sleeves and get back to work the sacrifice we have to make, you know, is, uh, is the man is on us. Uh, so we got to get to work. So that's my last statement is and hoping that people will shake the cobwebs away. It's almost as if we got a shot of Novocaine, you know. Um, we've celebrated when, when the, uh, Obama was elected president for eight years. We sat back and just parted around the fact of being happy that we had a black president. Not understanding is that in the meantime, that the other side was electing everything from a dog catch on up. So then we turned around, there's no black president, no president, and we ended up what we had. And then not only that is, we didn't have no base at the local community level because we didn't do anything about organizing. So we need to get, uh, you know, wake up and let's get the work done. Absolutely, and thank you so very much for all of your contributions, uh, Dave. Uh, Dennis, really a hero of the civil rights era. And Martha Prescott-Noonan, just your final thoughts as well. Martha, as haters are denying the right of our children to know the history you and Dave uh, talked about this hour and all of 
the work of, of, of Bob Moses and Medgar Evers and others that's being suppressed right now. Martha Prescott Noonan, your final thoughts here. Well, I think um, one of the most important examples um, or contributions from Bob's life, and actually Dave's as he's talking, is a way of strategic thinking, of looking for a key in the 60s, Bob thought about the vote, and then, you know, later with the Algebra Project. What keys do we have that we can take and push to make significant social change? Thinking strategically. Where's the best place to put our efforts? Where can we get the most results? And I think um, that kind of thinking is very important as we try to move forward in the future. Absolutely. On that note, I'm really sad we're going to have to leave it there, but we're going to have to have both of you back and learn so much more because you all, both of you are like walking history books yourselves. Uh, thank you, Dave Dennis. Thank you, Martha Prescott Noonan. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're practically out of time. I've got 30 seconds. Remember uh, Bob Moses, all of those people who gave their lives uh, for the right right now that are under threat. Thank you so very much for listening. I'd like to uh, thank the uh, Sojourner Truth team and our board out for today. So let's go out with some music from the Freedom Singers, and they're part of the 650th anniversary NP3. We've been